Father, thank you for your revelation of your word, your great word that you're about to give us. We're excited to be in your presence. We're, we're thrilled to be called your sons and daughters. And although, again, we're, we're few in number this morning, uh, we're, we are a mighty group because you're here. Because you said whenever two or three are gathered in your name, there you are in the midst of us. So we, we are, we're excited about that and we're thrilled to be in your presence. But we need to hear your words and your words only. So I ask once again, yes, that you would empty me of me. That you would take every part of Jay out and that you would fill me with your presence. Because as our sister Leonard just said, we really need your strength. We need your boldness. We need your wisdom, your knowledge, everything in order to understand who you are. And you're so gracious to us that you you promise to lead us to all truth. So I pray that that will be part of our journey today, that you would lead us to truth this morning. Would your Holy Spirit speaking through me open up our ears, open up our spirit, open up our hearts, and get it ready to receive your word. And we want to give you all the glory because of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last week, one of the things I think we learned was that Condemnation was the enemy's currency. That he will use condemnation and he will spend it wisely on getting us to feel condemned, to feel, make us feel guilty, to make us feel distant from God. And he loves to spend that currency on us. Condemnation is the currency of the enemy. And for many, many years... I believed a certain lie about myself. I believed that I didn't deserve love or would never find love. See, when you grow up in an abusive home, when, you, when, you, when you've been abused by your dad for over 10 years, uh, sexually, mentally, <laughs> uh, verbally, for 10 years, that lie takes hold. It goes deep. And you start to believe it. And for years, I believed that whisper in my ear. Every time that I got close to someone, and I'm not just talking romantically, every time I got close to someone in a relationship, I would hear this, yeah, but remember this. Remember when this happened. You're, you're, you're dirty. You're unclean. You're dangerous. You're not safe. And I would believe this lie and I would act accordingly because of that lie. So instead of trying to get close to people, I played a bit of the clown. That's what I did. That was my defense mechanism. I played a bit of a clown. You really couldn't get to know me because you really never knew who I was. And I put on all these different personalities depending on what crowd I was with. And I would play that part. Because every time that I would let my guard down, I would hear that voice, remember this. And I would believe it. And I would believe that I was unlovable. For years I believed this. Until a miracle. And it took a miracle for me to stop believing the lie. And I think we see this miracle happen in a woman who was caught in adultery. 
Remember last week we talked about this. The, the scribes and the Pharisees, they, they found this woman. They said they, they caught her in the act of adultery. They caught her red-handed in the act of adultery. And so they, they physically brought her in front of Jesus. And they, and, and they threw her before him. And they wanted him to make a, a verdict on this one. They wanted him because they were trying to trap him. They were trying to see if he would go against Roman law, that he would go against Jewish law, that, that he would go against his own law, that he was speaking about love and mercy and forgiveness. And so he, they bring this woman, but they forget to bring the two witnesses. They might have been in there, but they just don't identify the two witnesses. They forget this part. So they're challenging Jesus to act like a priest of the temple to condemn this woman, and he does exactly what they want, but not the way that they want him to. He starts to write in the dirt. He starts to write out the scriptures. He starts to write out the names. And he starts to show them how, how this is done. The very thing that they were trying to catch him in, as far as breaking Mosaic law, he was showing them how to fulfill the law. So this, this huge trap is going on. And this woman is sitting here watching this unfold before her very eyes, and her life is hanging in the balance. Her life is in the hands of this man the crowd is asking to pronounce judgment on her. This is a life and death struggle for her and for Jesus. Because at the beginning of this chapter, the crowd wants to stone this woman. At the end of this chapter, when you read it, and I urge you to read throughout this whole chapter this week, at the end of the chapter, they're threatening to stone Jesus, which is what their intent was from the very beginning, to find something that they could get rid of this man. This is a huge story playing out. There's so many parts in this story, but the real important part about this story is this woman and what God is doing for this woman because how he's speaking to this woman is really how he is speaking to us. So let's pick up the story again in John chapter 8, and we're going to start in verse 10. Jesus is done writing, and he's not... He's writing in the dirt. The, the crowd, he has always said to them, he says, you know, yet you without sin cast the first stone. And we said last week that that meant the two witnesses, the people that actually caught them in this woman in the act, were really the ones that would throw the first stone. They were the two witnesses. So let them who without sin cast the first stone. They would have been the ones that cast the first stone. They weren't there. Or they weren't identified. So no one was casting the first stone. And one by one, they dropped their stones. They're ready. They're poised. They came with stones because they wanted to stone this woman and hopefully get Jesus at the same time. And one by one, they dropped their stones and they leave. And at this point in the story, this is remarkable. Jesus is writing in the ground. He stood up, and I, again, I said last week, I love when Jesus stands up because things are about to happen. He says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? The courtyard is empty, just this woman and just Jesus. He says, where are your accusers? 
Is there anyone left here to condemn you? Is there anyone left to pick up a rock and stone you with it? Jesus has just spiritually circumcised these people's hearts. He has said to them that he has taught them a lesson on Mosaic law. He has taught them a lesson about Roman law. He has taught them a lesson about his law of love and mercy. He has undressed the crowd with his words, what he wrote in the dirt, and just the simple phrases that he said. And now he seems surprised that there's no one left. Where are they? Where are they? I'm suggesting if you have just been uh, verbally undressed by a living God, you're not going to hang around for more. But Jesus seems a little bit surprised here. He's not, but he seems a little bit surprised. He says to the woman, where are they? Is there no one left here to condemn you? Is there no one here that's ready to pick up a rock and let it fly? It's a huge moment. Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She scans the courtyard. Maybe this is the first time that she's actually raised her eyes up because she's felt shame. She was guilty. She knew she was guilty. She was caught. Think about the times that you've been caught. It's difficult to look up when you've been caught. And maybe for the first time, she's able to lift her head up and and, and she scans the courtyard and she sees that there's no one there except Jesus. There's a pile of rocks. But there's no one there but Jesus. How will she respond to his questions is the thing that we need to look at. Is she really trusting that there is no one left there to condemn her? There's only one person there. There's only one person there. And see, and here's the point. Jesus is the only one left that was righteous enough to condemn her. He was the only one that was righteous enough to pronounce a judgment on her and condemn her. He is also the only righteous one left that can pardon her. This is a huge point in the story. This woman's response reveals something that I think our response should be. She said, no one, Lord. No one, Lord. And Jesus quickly says, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on, sin no more. Here's the, here's the really cool thing. Lord, we said, the way that she says Lord here means supreme authority. It is a title that it is used for God only. When, when they said Lord this way and in this manner, it was a term and a title that was used for God only. She realized that Jesus is the supreme authority at this very moment and he is the supreme authority. 
she sees this, she identifies this, and she makes this bold proclamation that there is, although you're the one, you're the one that can pass judgment on me, you're the one that can actually is righteous enough to condemn me, but I know you're not here to condemn me, I know you're here to save me. See, this is a huge moment in this woman's life. That she is recognizing something about the Messiah that I believe, I believe, she now recognizes because she uses that term, Lord, supreme authority. He wasn't there to condemn her. He was there to free her. I really want to pause right here because when I was praying and preparing this week and even this morning, you know, I, I got to this point point. I burst in tears uh, quite a few times. Because I think that there's, there's times that we, we expect Jesus to condemn us. We expect Jesus to condemn us. I think there's times that we even, we even want him to. I mean, after all, we think and we feel, well, look at what I've done. Look at the things I've done. Look at, look at the person I used to be. Uh, how could he not condemn that? I think there's times that we expect Jesus to pick up a stone. Because he's so Righteous. And we're not. After all, we think we deserve it. We just look at what we've done, how we've messed up, and how bad we are. So instead of believing what Jesus says about us, we start to believe what the adversary says about that, and we start to hand out rocks to our enemy. So here you go. I kind of deserve this. See, that's what believing a lie will do to you. That you, are, you actually start handing out ammunition to the enemy for, to, to use against you. But this woman said that there was no one left to condemn her. No one at all. Here's the thing. If you've been with us any length of period of time here, we do not believe and we do not preach and we do not say that we're dirty, rotten sinners. Because if you have bent your knee to Jesus Christ, if you have accepted him as Lord and Savior, you are not a dirty, rotten sinner. You're just not. You're a redeemed son and daughter of the Most High God. That's who you are. That's who you will be. But sons and daughters, as sons and daughters, we still sin. Right? We just do. We mess up at times. Sometimes it's just an attitude. Sometimes it's a behavior. Sometimes it's a one thing. We still sin, but we're not dirty, rotten sinners. We're redeemed sons and daughters of the Most High. But I want to say this, because this is really important. To see Jesus as someone to cast the first stone is to have a warped idea of who God is. 
To believe the enemy's words over the Father's words, that is sin. It is. Because what we're saying is that the enemy's words have more value, more power, more authority than God's words. And all of a sudden, what are we doing? We are worshiping an idol. Anything that we give power to it becomes an idol in our lives. So if we give more power and authority to the enemy's lies that we hear in our ears, if we act on them, if we believe them more than the Father's words, that is a sin. And it's something we need to repent from. I say that knowing that that's sometimes something that I struggle with as well. We are not dirty, rotten sinners. But we really need to recognize when we believe the enemy's words over our father's words, we are sinning and we need to repent from it. Okay? It's really important to know that. So here's a question for you. What do you see when the accusations start to fly? Or more importantly, who, who do you see when the accusations start to, to, to fly? When you start hearing the, the whispers in your ears, who do you see? The Father wants us to see Jesus. Because he's come not to condemn us. He's come to free us. So when the accusations start to fly and things start going around into fiery darts of lies and deceit, we just keep our eyes on Jesus. There might be a crowd still around us with with lots of stones and rocks and ready and things are whipping through our head and past our, our spirit. And Jesus is just standing there saying, neither do I condemn you. There's no one here that's left to condemn you. I don't care what you're surrounded by. Keep your eyes on me. Because I don't condemn you. I'm here to free you. That's a powerful thing if we can get that in our spirit. If we can remember that. The scripture describes Satan in three ways. He describes him in in a lot of ways. I just want to use three ways this morning because it really makes this point come home, I think. Uh, Matthew 4, 3 says that he is the tempter. Revelation 12, 10 says that he is the accuser of the brethren. And in chapter 8 here, in verse 44, it says that he is the father of all lies. Now, if I was going to try to tempt you, you would probably know it. And if I was going to accuse you of something, you would, you would know it. But if I were to try to deceive you, you probably wouldn't know it at first. The power of the enemy is the lie. And if you remove the lie, you remove the power. The power of the enemy is the lie, and if you remove the lie, you remove the power of the enemy. You see how that works? If we don't believe a lie, guess what? He no longer has control. He no longer can whisper in our ear, remember the duck, and we start to act because we're afraid of what might be exposed. See, 
Jesus says in this chapter that he is the light of the world. See, light is great because it exposes things. Light reveals things. So if we're already standing in the light, walking in the light, because he is the light of the world, and the light of the world now resides in us, do we have any fear of being exposed? Not really. Everything is exposed. See, everything is brought into the light so that God can heal it. God doesn't reveal things to shame us. He reveals things to heal us so that we don't have to be afraid of being exposed. We can walk in freedom. See, the miracle of, of when I, the miracle I spoke up earlier for me to, to, to get over believing this lie that I was unlovable was seeing Jesus for who he really is. See, when I began to understand that Jesus was there not condemning me for, for things that happened to me or the sin that I did because of the things that happened to me, because I rebelled against the Lord, I, I took up drugs, I took up drinking, I, I ran away from him as fast as I can. You, most of you know the story. I did all those things to hurt God because I was believing the lie that I was unlovable. And that's the way I acted. I acted as an unlovable person. And made sure that no one could love me. God turns that around and says, I don't condemn you for that. I want you to come. I want you to repent for your part in this. But I want to free you. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to free you. And this is a huge part of the story for this woman and for us as well. There is no one here to condemn me, Lord. There's no one. And if we remove the lie... We remove Satan's power over us. I am nowhere near finished. And I thought this was going to be a two-parter, but I think it might have to go into a three-parter. And I realize I'm not going to be here next week, but I promise I'll get back to this. Because I don't, want to, I don't want to gloss over what I want to share next, but I, I know I can't get it done. In a, I have a minute and 45 seconds left. And I just know it's not going to happen, and I don't want to rush this, but I want to stay here at this moment right now. The next time we talk, we'll talk about what it really means to go and sin no more. Because it is, Jesus doesn't say that without it being, it being possible. It is possible. Okay. It's, it's really about living a lifestyle freedom and sinning less okay okay just keep that in your mind but we're going to go into how jesus describes this and it's beautiful read chapter eight read chapter eight dive into chapter eight i promise you you'll you'll know the sermon before i even say it okay what jesus promises in that and and the verses that come after he tells the woman to go and sin no more it's absolutely groundbreaking if your your spirit is ready to receive the whole idea about going and sinning no more. It is possible. Otherwise, Jesus would not have said it. Okay? Jesus just doesn't flippantly say things. See, when Jesus said that he was the light of the world here, it almost seems out of place. He just he says, and Jesus kept on teaching them. He says, after this, after he told the woman to go and sin no more, he says, he kept on teaching, and he says, I am the light of the world. Similarly, okay, why is he saying this? Because the Feast of the Tabernacles has just ended. They had four great lights that lit up the tabernacle, and they were now extinguished at the end. at the end of the festival. Those four lights were called the light of the world. 
Jesus is saying, that's not the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. See, you extinguish those lights. My light can't be extinguished. And those who walk with me do not walk in what? Darkness, he says. It is possible to go and sin no more. It is possible. Otherwise, why would Jesus tell this woman to do it? It is possible. But I don't want to get into that. I'm going to... It's, it's, it's beautiful. But I promise you, read, the chapter, read chapter 8. Please read chapter 8 this week. Dive into it. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal it to you. I promise you, you will see what I see in it. It is groundbreaking. It is absolutely groundbreaking. It breaks up the ground so things can grow again. I promise you, you will, you will see it. And, and maybe I don't even have to do part three. You'll come and tell me. It'll be wonderful. But I don't want to leave this moment... Can you see this? Can you see this whole fact? This woman recognizes that there's only Jesus. Jesus is the only one righteous enough, holy enough, good enough to pronounce judgment on us. But he's here to redeem us, not pass judgment on us. Can you just stay in that moment this week? And every time the enemy tries to bring up an accusation, you come against him with the word of God. See, I am not that abused little boy anymore. I am a redeemed son of God. See, I don't, I don't, when people say, well, don't you say you're a victim of, of abuse? No, I'm not a victim. I'm a redeemed son of God. I am not a victim anymore because I've been redeemed. I'm not who I was. I'm redeemed. Did those bad things happen to me? Yeah, of course they did. They did. But I'm not a victim anymore because I am a new creation. Oh, in Jesus Christ. Let me just read that scripture before we go. Because this is huge. You know it, but let's read it. Second Corinthians 5.17. This is how we remove the lie. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. And behold, all things have become new. This scripture reminds us that our identity is in Christ Jesus and nobody else's. God gets to define what all things new means. Nobody else. Not me, not the enemy, not my past, not the church, nobody else. God gets to define what all things new means. He gets to define my character, my identity. Nothing. My past, the sin I've committed, the things that I regret, none of those things are my identity. Only He gets to tell me and you who your identity is. So this week, when you're challenged, and you, let me tell you, okay? The enemy hasn't forgotten how to use these. And he's poised and ready to hurl these things at you this week. He's ready. He's waiting for an opportunity for you to be target practice. I'm telling you, refuse to be target practice this, this week. Absolutely put your foot down. Draw a line in the sand. No, I know who I am. I am redeemed son or daughter of the Most High God. I will not listen to lies. I will not believe lies. I believe what my Father says about me. And He says I'm redeemed. Can you do that? Can you let the enemy just get frustrated and drop his rocks and his accusations and walk away from you because he... He says, if you resist him, he will flee from you. Can we do that today? 
Can we make that commitment together today? I promise you, if you reach out to me, reach out to me, dive into it. I promise you, you're going to see something. I promise you, you're going to see some freedom there. I promise you. He's, he continues to undress the scribes and the Pharisees. And it's beautiful and it's painful and what he does to them. But I believe he's trying to reach their hearts still. This is the grace of God. But if you see what else Jesus says there about freedom, you, you will be different. I promise you. Read his word. Believe his word. And pray that word over you this week. Okay? Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the mercy and the love and the, and the, 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 the generosity of that love. We're overwhelmed by it. We're, we're undone by it. And we, and, we, and we need to be. So we pray that you would help us discern your word this, today and for the rest of the week. That we would walk in your word. That we would uh, abide in your word. That we would keep connected to your word. That we would be true disciples of your word this week. Because uh, not just because we want to be good boys and girls, but because we want to be your sons and daughters. See, we, we, we want to live a life of, of righteousness because we love you and we need your help. Holy Spirit, come and, and lead us to all truth like you promised that you would. I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray as they read your words that it will become cemented into them, that they will identify with them and they would know their identity because of it. And I want to say this to the enemy. These are my brothers and sisters. And I command you with all authority, the authority of Christ Jesus, that you leave these ones alone. That you take your lies and you take your deceit and you take your deception, you take everything that you would hurl against them and you go where Jesus tells you to go. You would move your hands from my brothers and my sisters in the name of Jesus. And Heavenly Father, I just pray now for that you will keep my brothers and sisters safe as they walk this week that you would bless their finances, you would bless their health, that you would bless their relationships. And I pray that everywhere they go, they will drip Jesus. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.